Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. This episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about fitting everything you want to do into one physical therapy session. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the App Mike Reynolds Show. I'm here at Champion PT and Performance answering your questions. Anything you want to talk about, head to MikeReynolds.com, click on that podcast link, and fill out the form to ask us questions. Let's see. Today, we are joined by Jonah Monlock, Lisa Lowe, Mike Scuduto, Kevin Coughlin, Dan Pope, Dave Tilly, Lanny McCrina, Dewesh Podell. And Len, who do we have for students today? We have apparently still four students. A week later, we have six students. Oh, oh no. Nope. Oh. We have five. We have five students. Um, there we go. Okay. So we have uh, Tommy Deason from High Point University in the beautiful state of North Carolina. We have Courtney Camborellis from Dewville in Buffalo, New York. I think it's still snowing up there. We have Danielle Rankin from Franciscan Missionaries of Our Ladies. She demands to be called Dan Dan. Uh, Dr. Phil Page, just so you know. Taylor Worthington from the University of Rhode Island in the smallest state in the U.S., URI, but a big personality. And Aiden Graham from Stony Brook University. <laughs> Aiden brought us some bagels recently, and they were yummy. Thank you. Let, let, that's soon to be Dr. Dan Dan, just to get that straight. Dr. I want to make Dan, sure that Dr. you Dan. deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That just happened. That's going to happen. Um, all right. Who do, what do we have for a question? Who do we have? Tommy today? Or who's up today? <clears throat> Okay, sorry. I'm so sorry. All right, my bad. Garrett from Iowa asks, for ACL reconstruction patients early on in their recovery, how many days per week do you like to see them and how long are your treatments? I find it challenging to get to everything within our 40-minute treatments two to three times per week. Is this, it, this has got to be one of the most common questions that students and, you know, new graduates from PT school probably ask, right? Um I feel like we're inundated with exercise ideas on social media. We have all these grand ideas on things we want to do with the people. And then we get to our structure within our work setting and we have to try to fit that square peg in a round hole. Right. And, you know, to me, I think this is one of the most frustrating things that that physical therapists do is they say, I don't have enough time to do what I want to do with my patients. So, um, heck, I know, you know, Lenny and I came from like a uber busy uh, outpatient setting where you saw, I don't even know how many we saw, 20, 30 people a day. I know a lot of people are like that. Um, I, I wonder if we start this off with a couple of opinions from people, maybe Kevin, maybe Lisa. You've recently transitioned from an insurance-based model that probably was quite similar to what Garrett is dealing with um, to a one-on-one cash-based uh, setting. So you, you obviously now have a little bit more time, but I'm curious from your perspective, some of the things that you would recommend somebody like Garrett do. Um, I don't know, Kev, you want to start off? I saw you nodding your head there. You want to start the phone off? Yeah, sure. Um, 
yeah, it's definitely an issue um, that you have to plan for when you work in an insurance-based setting. So generally my strategy with that would be try to figure out what type of insurance they have and get some idea if you can about how many visits you might be able to see them for. Um, there are certain plans where maybe you get 20 visits per year and that's it. And then it resets every year. So then in those situations, you know, kind of where you're starting with that person and how long you'll be able to see them for. Um, and I know Garrett is specifically asking about early in their recovery. Um, and I think then it's, it is good to see them two times per week because you want to make sure that they're healing well. You want to make sure that you're getting back their range of motion. Um, you're kind of setting them up for early success. Uh, later on with the ACL uh, specifically, they're going to be doing a lot of stuff in the gym. So if you can kind of front load some of those sessions and make sure that you're you're hitting all the most important things early on, uh, later on, you can really just do a good job of showing them their home program and maybe working with a strength coach in their area if they're doing some of their exercises in the gym. Um, and the later rehab, even though, you know, that's that stuff's super important, we can kind of keep a pulse on that and what they're doing on their own and make sure that, you know, maybe you get them in down the road every one to three weeks and you're, you know, retesting strength. You're making sure that they've been doing their home program. You show them progressions that you're going to have them do on their own. But I think early on, it is important to make sure that you're setting them up for that later success. That's awesome, Kevin. And and I really appreciate how you delineated some early phase versus late phase and using ACL as an example, because that's a really long rehab process that has a lot as a physical therapist, right? We, we want to do it all. We want to do from day one all the way to the end. And we want to do all the advanced stuff. But you could argue if you're working in a setting where you have a max of 30 or 40 minutes that your setting isn't set up to do that. Right. So meaning like you probably shouldn't even consider that that is what you're going to do. That's not a service that you're going to be able to provide. So I, I like that concept of if you're if you're in that setting, do you front load everything and be more hands on and set them up for success? Because if they get behind. Right. It doesn't really matter how many visits you do down the road. Once they're behind, they're behind. And it's really challenging to get caught back up again. So um, I like that. Uh, Lisa, what do you think? I know, you know, you made the, the transition to a little bit, you know, not as recently as Kevin, but a little bit more than some of us here. Anything from your perspective that you'd recommend? Um, I mean, I feel like the way Kevin kind of described being more of the like facilitator of like connecting the person to, you know, different strength coaches or different places that they could utilize to like actually make their rehab effective um, was usually kind of the way that I took it too. Um, Cause the setting I was in the standard visit was actually only 30 minutes. Um, so then you talk about people being five minutes late and that's like no time. Um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't, even, I didn't even consider that. That's a really yeah. good point. Right. Um, and, and we didn't, you know, we didn't have the ability. I didn't have the ability to see more than one person at a time, just with the way it was set up. So it kind of just was what it was. Um, so I, I mean, I did a lot of what Kevin was talking about. I, I was lucky. And honestly, I sent people over to champion to work with strength coaches as their supplement <laughs> for the most part. Um, but like, you know, that was the the resource that I knew was smart to use um, for a rehab client who just needed more strength time and like eyes generally on them um, that they weren't able to get during PT. So I think, like Kevin said, I think it's all about you know, developing your network in the area um, and, you know, having resources to share with your clients. Cause 
you know, maybe with that kind of setting, you do just become their like game plan person and you do the hands-on stuff that they can't do for themselves, but then you make sure that they know what to do outside of PT time to really make their progress. Um, right. It's like, it's like you're the guide, right? You have to guide them through some of the things, which, which makes sense. So, um, but you know, I, I feel like that leads us, um, you know, Jonah, I know as a strength coach in our facility here, one of the things that you really harped on us recently as a physical therapy staff was that we need a, a really great way of transitioning people from rehab to the gym and to communicate with, with our coaches to make sure that they're getting everything they need. Um, Jonah, from your perspective as a strength coach, what, what sort of things do you want to learn from the PT? Like what's the best way to make that relationship work so you can help PTs that are in a setting like this that are limited with time? What, what, what would you want to know? Yeah. So a couple things. First, I think by this point, especially in a longer rehab process, as the PT, you know that patient or client really, really well. Um, so you can kind of fill us in on a little bit of everything, even like the emotional side of what they're like. Like, do they get really stressed when they're having little flare ups? Because we know those things happen. Um, and that can help kind of guide how aggressive we can be with somebody. Um, I know like Dave, we've had a bunch of different ACL patients we've been working with. And they all have those subtle differences as a personality. So I think when you know the patient really well, that's a big one that some people might leave out. But then also the more obvious stuff, like the general guidelines in terms of are there soft tissue or mobility restrictions we're working on? Are there weaknesses or imbalances in asymmetries from side to side? And kind of just giving us those general guidelines of this is the phase of rehab they're at. These are the things we're working on they really need to build up strength right now and then letting us kind of take it from there giving us a heads up on the types of exercises or things that have maybe been a little bit more problematic so that we know what to stay away from but letting us kind of use our expertise once we have those general guides of this is the stage they're at this is what we need to work on they're not quite ready for this or we just started trying this so you can slowly implement more of it depending on where they're at in that process that's that's great, Joan. And what, what I appreciated a lot from what you just said right there was that as a strength coach, you probably have 100 things that you could or want to do with the person, right? But knowing what the priority is, maybe perhaps from, from the rehab perspective will help you assure that you know, you are tackling those because there's tons of things you can do with these people, right? There's so many avenues you can go, so many different approaches. I think knowing like what's the biggest emphasis um, would, would be good. So um, I don't know. I, I wanted to get some thoughts from the PTs that have worked in a more high volume setting too on on how they manage this a little bit. Dan, you you got anything you want to add? Well, I was going to kind of um, go back to Jonah's point a little bit. Um, I, I, one of the things I think is helpful, and I think it depends on the coaches. I think one of the things we take for granted is that we have really good strength coaches. And I think back to when I was a strength coach and I was given like a post-op patient, even if there were cleared to do activity, I was really freaked out. I felt like I didn't have a ton of guidance, you know, and it was scary. Um, and I think that's challenging because a lot of the PTs don't always have the knowledge about how to progress people to a higher level. So it's literally like they finish their baseline rehab and they're sent to a strength coach and they're really not ready for higher level conditioning. So it's challenging. I think one of the things that's kind of helpful for me, because I'm, I'm always a little freaked out if I'm sending someone to like a personal trainer, right? Because I don't want them to do something they shouldn't. And they're probably freaked out about the same. So one of the things I've, I've done with some of the champion coaches like Jonah 
is that I introduce the new stuff as a physical therapist, right? So the more kind of dangerous, right? In quotations. Um, and then once they've tolerated that for a few weeks, then I could say, okay, Jonah, we've done this for a few weeks. I just want you to advance it a little bit. I'm not concerned this is going to be a problem. We've already done it, right? So if you have a short session to spend with your athletes, maybe you don't have to focus on quad strength because you've been hammering that for the past, you know, six week, eight weeks. And the strength coach is already doing that too. You can introduce some of the plyometrics and slowly start to progress some of those things. So your sessions kind of become, all right, let's kind of leak some new stuff into the program. Let's start to advance a little bit. And once we know that's tolerated well, then I can kick that over to Jonah and say, we've already tried this. I feel very confident that you can start to, to do more of this yourself. And that way you're just introducing new things. You don't have to spend a lot of time on the old stuff you've already kind of shown that is, is fine for them to do on their own or with the strength coach. That's awesome, Dan. Great, great addition to that. You know, and based on that, I'm curious, Dwesh, from your perspective as a strength coach, um, how would you recommend a physical therapist find a good strength and conditioning facility, wherever, you know, if that's sports performance or personal trainers or wherever it's like, what are some of the things that you'd recommend a PT that is looking to set up a, a new relationship and, and, and make sure that they're working with somebody that is going to help their patients? Yeah, this this part can definitely be a little tricky, right? I think we we all know that the barrier of entry for a fitness professional is pretty low, um, and we don't quite know how many people are experienced in working with rehab clients, um, how many people have enough advanced knowledge to kind of take in the information from high level conditioning and strength conditioning, but also understand that you know that end of the the rehab and the and the struggling athlete. Um, so one barrier that you can, you can kind of look for, for it, as far as preference goes is the CSCS, you know, we kind of look at that as gold standard. So look for a coach that is CSCS certified. Um, the other thing that you can kind of see is, and, you know, I, I can kind of relate to this personally, but I also know a lot of interns that have come through, even, you know, friends coming up to undergrad and stuff. I think it's pretty normal for a lot of strength coaches to have done a stint as like a rehab aid, um, so having someone that's kind of worked in a rehab clinic or rehab setting before to some degree, just so they can relate a little bit more, they can kind of have an understanding of what transitions from, you know, high priority and range of motion and function looks like versus high priority and strength and, and power looks like, right? So I think building relationships and talking and asking people just like, hey, like what experience do you have working with the injured athlete? Um, I think stuff like that can definitely be a good way to sort people out because like I said, that, that barrier of entry for a fitness professional is pretty low and you don't want to send someone, um, a, a rehab client and they've never worked with anyone injured before. Right. I think that goes to kind of what Dan was saying. Like they're probably going to be stressed out. They're going to be freaked out and you're probably not going to feel good as a PT being unsure of whether they're going to get good training and good coaching or not. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And don't be afraid to go visit somebody too, right? Go check out their facility. Right. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Just to just to add to Duesh's comment, um, something that I look for, I would look for would be a strength and conditioning facility that specializes in the sport that the athlete plays. So for an ACL tear, you know, we know the, the most common sports, maybe like soccer, something like that. If there's a is a gym or a strength and conditioning coach that kind of specializes in soccer, they may have more experience dealing with ACL. Uh, return to sport for soccer players, but they also understand the demands of the sport that they're trying to get back to. So that's just another avenue to kind of go down is, is find someone that specializes in that sport. That's awesome. That's, that's some good advice too. Um, I want to get one more perspective. So really, I want to answer this question well for Garrett. Um, maybe go to Dave on this one. So Dave, what I, I know you're a really organized guy. I know 
you write good programs, you're very thorough with your stuff. Um, you know, how do you organize these sessions? How do you make sure that you get the most out of these sessions when you're in a limited time? What did you do when, when you're in a busy outpatient setting? I, I know that's something that probably really bothered you, right? I just knowing you as a person, like, so like, I I'd love to hear your strategies for what you did. Yeah. I think one of the key, maybe it's, it's relevant to this, but also just all injuries in general is like, you know, you have to really take a step back and think about one, what do they need me for? Like what things can't they do on their own? Um, I think there's also sometimes when like, it would be ideal for you to do everything with them, right? Like all the strength and then all the consultations, stuff like that. But in reality, after you teach someone a program, I don't know if you need to sit there and watch them do clamshells, right. And watch them do everything. If they've really mastered that. So I'm a big fan of that, which is, you know, really take a step back, like, all right, early post-op, they need me for range of motion. They need me for soft tissue. They need me for this, but advanced out like phases as Joan and I were talking about, like when I look back and I look at who I have access to or what I can do, I'm like, all right, well, they really need me for consultation of workload around like the pathology and like teasing that line of when we're loading maybe the, the graft or the joint or their knee in general, just a little bit too much. So they need my brain. They need my brain to synthesize what they're saying and say like, use my clinical expertise based on the information I know from research. And then they need me to translate that to Jonah. And like Jonah and I talked a lot about like how programming for, um, you know, athleticism is very different than programming for tissue tolerance. And so that's what I think you need to really think about is like, what do they need me for? And then what can be outsourced to someone who's maybe more expertise of that, or just like, what can they do on their own? The second thing about that is I think it's not a, you know, a always popular answer because maybe you're not getting paid for the time, but the more work you can do on the outside of the session to figure out what drills really are effective, what things really are good use exercise wise, what's the best way to sequence this to get the most time out of it. I'd rather do a lot of research and studying what EMG data is the best for activity in certain muscle groups and what exercises seem to be the most efficient and build a basic program that someone consistently does versus, you know, there's, there's, definitely something to be said about getting information from social media. But if you follow all the newest exercises that everyone is doing and you're trying to get it all and you have like 39 exercises in a program, I'd rather do a warm up, a soft tissue, 1A, 1B, 2A, 2B, and a finisher in a solid 40 minutes and have someone leave accomplished than, you know, be doing a bajillion different exercises. So that's what I would say. <laughs> and you know what? I actually wonder, Dave, if all those people doing the, the fancy exercises on Instagram, if they're doing the same thing as you, they're just showing that one fancy exercise that they do every day. And it looks like that that's all they're doing. You, you don't see the one, a, the one B, like you, <laughs> said. They don't, you don't see the boring ones. They just want to show like the fancy ones. Uh, Dan, did you want to add something to that? Sorry. I was just Sorry, laughing Dave. because uh, you guys know how smart Dave is and how much information comes out of his mouth so quickly. I feel like his sessions <laughs> are like that too. Every once in a while, Dave's out and I get one of his patients and it's like a 30 minute session. And there's like an hour and a half of stuff. I'm like, Oh my God. And I'm trying to run. The <laughs> <laughs> Buddy. <laughs> yeah, and you know, the, the only thing I would add from maybe a slightly different perspective from what everybody else has answered here is that, you know, in terms of like the systems and the process behind it, right? Like divide your sessions up, right? So you have, you have your hands on time and then you have your supervised time. And I think if that person needs to be exiting the facility exactly 40 minutes after their session, I think you need to change that model. To be honest with you, I think that's just really unlikely to do. Maybe it's 40 minutes that you're working with them, but then that's where like, we have like, we have flow sheet, uh, flow sheets, like that, that patients go through exercises. And yes, you have to spend some time teaching them that and showing them that or have the students do it. Right. But like, like once they have that though, like you, you can unlock 30 minutes of amazing productive therex that you wouldn't have done. And now you have your 40 minutes with that person, plus this amazing therex session. So um, don't underestimate that. I think that's, that's, that's really important. So 
Uh, anyone else on that? Did we nail that? Or anyone want to, Dan, you want to add a little bit to that? I'm sorry. Yeah, I got to say this, but I think one of the things you guys <laughs> have showed good. me, I think it's really helpful is that the idea of a system, right? You know, so many clinics, everyone does so much different stuff, right? From clinician to clinician. And I think the other part is that uh, it's hard to have a program that kind of everyone goes through and maybe all of the ancillary staff know and understand because you could have someone else go through a lot of the program, right? With a patient after you're allotted, maybe 30 minutes, whatever it is. And if that's a system that everyone in the clinic knows, that's way easier than trying to give them like 10 new exercises every week and then having someone in the corner do them with terrible technique, right? Something like that because you're with your next patient and you can't really coach them. So awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, I think it's worth spending a little extra time on, on this to answer Garrett's question. Cause I, I think it's so in, uh, common, right. I think most of our students would probably agree that these, these are questions they have. They're like, Oh gosh, how am I going to do this? Right. Like, how am I going to fit this all in? Um, just remember, take a step back, start simple, um, get those low hanging fruit and knock them out of the park in those 40 minutes. And as you get more comfortable with your, your rhythm, like your cadence of your sessions and stuff like that, then you can, you'll slowly build as they, as, as you get comfortable with it. But, um, just, you know, make sure you're knocking out those major things first and, and you'll be successful. And then over time, you'll just get more and more successful. So, so, um, think of it that way, Garrett. So, uh, great question, Garrett. I think a lot of people shared that. So I'm glad that you reached out with that. I really appreciate that. If you have questions like Garrett, please head to MikeRinald.com. Click on that podcast link and fill out those that form to ask us a question. And we will see you on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRinald.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.